Looking for an opportunity to learn more about Bitcoin and connect with other enthusiasts? Look no further than Pacific Bitcoin, the premier Bitcoin conference put on by SWAN. With top industry speakers, engaging panels, and networking opportunities, Pacific Bitcoin is the place to be for anyone interested in the future of Bitcoin. Use promo code AJIT20, that is AYE20, at checkout for a 20% discount on your conference tickets. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to join the Bitcoin community at Pacific Bitcoin, taking place October 5th and 6th in Santa Monica, California. Hey everyone, most of us have heard the phrase, getting Bitcoin is easy. All you need is a smartphone and the internet. That's because Bitcoin and the internet have been interlinked since the beginning of time. But what if you're one of millions or billions of people who don't have a smartphone or an internet-connected device? Luckily, that's what Hothatso Ngako is trying to fix. Hothatso is a South African software developer, Bitcoiner, and founder of Machankura, an innovation allowing Africans to send or receive Bitcoin via text messaging. No computer, no smartphone, and no internet is needed. So I wanted to learn more about this, and that's why I invited Hothatso over to the podcast. Hothatso and I talk about Bitcoin adoption in South Africa and the incredible work of Machankura. We also talk about the power shortages in South Africa, the role of energy in sustaining societies, the lack of net neutrality that exists worldwide, and how the fiat system resembles an arcade game. We cover a lot of stuff in 45 minutes, so please go ahead, get comfy, get a cup of tea or wine, and let's get started. Hello, how are you? I'm all good yourself. Good, good. How how is it going? How how is your day so far? Oh, it's been a chill day. I'm a little burnt out with the week's events, but yeah, as productive as any day. How about yourself? Yeah, it's been good. Tell me about what's going on with the power outages in South Africa, because that's part of the reason why we had to reschedule the call. Well, we have regular power outages. I think. Eight hours a day is spent without electricity, at least eight hours a day. And they release a schedule, so at least you can plan ahead. But it has been not this bad, but it's been we've been having power outages for the past decade. Over the past decade, actually. It used to be two hours a day, but then it's been getting worse and worse and worse and worse. So it feels like sabotage, you know, but, you know, central planning doesn't work anyway. So I guess it's one of those things. That is crazy. And, but are these, are, these are done on purpose, right? So that the grid doesn't collapse? Yeah, but technically what they should have done is build more power stations so that the grid can support all the demand. But then it seems like all these new power stations keep having faults and they cannot be fully added to the grid. So there's also that. And the monopoly of energy. That's such a disaster because I was reading also like on the effects of the power outages in South Africa, like, you know, food going bad, traffic that it's causing and and some homelessness people Mm -hmm. trying to direct traffic for cash and students not being able to study. And even Mm -hmm. as far as the bodies in, what was it called? Mortuaries rotting faster and and being, you know, people being asked to bury their loved ones as fast as possible. Like it just Mm -hmm. makes you realize how, when you cut out energy, the effects it has across the whole society, even food, like farmers can't really grow food. So it's been insane. 
Yeah, well, I think ultimately, you know, there's also a lot of stats and graphs that highlight quality of life increases with more energy usage, right? So um, everything you just listed are things at this point in time we um, ignore or we like, it's, it's it's like your own breathing. You don't even notice it when until you, you stop breathing or something keeps you from breathing and you're being strangled. So... Yeah, with the energy consumption, you know, there's this whole push, renewable energy, what, what, blah, blah, blah. But the thing that we should be focusing on, obviously, is generating as much energy as possible and getting people to live a life with a higher living standard. So whatever that energy is for now shouldn't be the focus because otherwise all the things you listed are happening and will continue to happen even in other places. Yeah, for sure. Do you see a lot of like within your circle of friends and family or do what systems have they put in place to have energy? Do they have solar powered energy or generators? What are you seeing? Yeah, well, on those who can afford to have solar panels, get solar panels, but, you know, it's an expense. Not too many people can afford. So little things, I think, back in my mother's house we once installed rechargeable led lights so yeah put them in the whole house and so we had like a few hours of lights on in the house even after power outages because they are rechargeable leds and yeah there's companies selling other things as well like what is this a ups system for your wi-fi Right. So if you still want to have internet even during a power outage, you could plug your Wi-Fi unit into a UP, small UPS system and then you still have internet for the rest of the day. And yeah, or other small things like that. So people are doing basically whatever they can afford. I personally want to have a small nuclear reactor. Sadly, we don't have any of those being sold in South Africa. So the first day they go on sale, I'm going to get myself one and then <laughs> invite everyone over to just, you know, live and use that energy. How easy is it to get it? Well, super hard. Nuclear is one of the things that are highly regulated for not so obvious reasons, because, you know, if we want to really not wasting energy, we should be using it in the most efficient fashion. And nuclear is one of the most efficient ways you could ever use energy, because as Einstein put it, E is equivalent to MC squared. So if you get the most energy out of the smallest mass or, well, fuel, then you're doing good. And nuclear is one of the ways. And sadly, you know, it, it's, it's like Bitcoin at this point. It has too much baggage, too much bad media around it, and nobody wants to use nuclear, even though it's, you know, it's a solved problem. Like, who's this guy? Oppenheimer, whoever's one of the first nuclear scientists in the world, Oppenheimer or Heisenberg, one of the two, figured out most of the stuff that needed to be figured out years ago, and everything else has been incremental over the past century. And so it's one of those things like, why can I not just buy a nuclear reactor for my household and then use that instead of depending on the grid or a nuclear reactor for my community, for that matter, and depend on that instead of the national power grid. So, yeah, regulation, regulation, regulation. 
That's fascinating. I, th- that whole energy conversation is one that I don't know very well, but I think we need to listen to people like yourself that are living in these countries where energy shortages are such a problem and how, like I said before, they affect every part of your life. And if we can find alternative sources mm-hmm. of energy and clean energy and and really like analyze them without the the, the baggage and the bad reputation it comes with, we might be better for it, which just mm-hmm. inspires me to maybe do a podcast episode on Bitcoin mining and energy. So thank you for that. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, Look it up. It yeah. will be a great one. <laughs> thank you. So I'm mm-hmm. curious to hear from your point of view, like how is the Bitcoin adoption going in South Africa? Mm, it's going quite good. You know, I feel like it could be better, but let me say compared to other places, it's quite good. Pretty much almost everyone has heard about Bitcoin. Mm, I even walk around wearing Bitcoin t-shirts in the weirdest places and get asked about Bitcoin. Sadly, don't have enough time to talk about it. And it's not even seen in a bad light. Well, also, uh, we've had enough scams in South Africa. So people have a short-term memory as well. So the bad light they used to see it in because of scams is no longer there. And yeah, we have also had an exchange for years. I think Luno is one of the first exchanges on the continent, if not the first exchange on the continent. And since 2013, that's how I first heard about Bitcoin, even though I didn't buy it in 2014, I think. And... Yeah, it's been great. What else has been there, though? Yeah, even with me, or with the project that I'm doing, uh, Machangura is getting people on board and telling people about it. I don't have to do too much. They just see, oh, this is Bitcoin, finally. And life goes on. What is it about Bitcoin that makes them want to get their hands on it? So, I think... The better question is, what is it about fiat that makes people look for alternatives, right? And yeah, so Bitcoin is just one of those things that people can identify as a good alternative to fiat because... In a country like South Africa, where there's so much dysfunction, you have to keep asking yourself, like, yo... um, is our money safe? Like we have so many different issues, you know, we also have like one cash heist a day. So there's a cash heist every day of the year in South Africa. So the machines that deliver cash into ATMs get hijacked and bombed. And yeah, that cash goes wherever it goes to. So the whole economy of its own now. And yeah, so I guess people are then asking themselves, like, what is the alternative besides the rand? But also besides that, Every day you go to the grocery store, you see that the prices are more expensive than the last time you went to the grocery store. So you have to ask yourself like, yo, I'm not going to get a raise for the next however many months. So how am I going to make ends meet? So I need to do something with this money. So yeah, people keep looking for other ways to scratch their end. And Bitcoin is just one of them. Sadly, so many scammers in the space as well, but we trying to, you know, balance the scale so that those who do find bitcoin and want to self-custody are able to do it oh well before they self-custody they're able to at least use a service that won't rug pull them overnight and you know what was interesting when i started learning about Mm -hmm. bitcoin a lot of what i would hear people say is like oh all you need is a phone and internet and i would think 
that's a big ask to get some, you, you can't just say mm-hmm. all you need is a phone and an internet. Those are luxuries. Those are hard things to get in many parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe in Canada, where I am, it's easier to get, you know, phone and, and an internet. But I would think, mm-hmm. gosh, well, if it's all you need is a phone and the internet, then how many people are being excluded? You know, and, and, and yeah. that was always a question that I kind of had, but I never really asked it because, I, you know, when I first joined Bitcoin, I was a bit, you know, you get shy to ask the very basic questions because you almost feel like you should know the answers to them. And then you came out mm-hmm. of nowhere, what it looked like from my end, that you and the work you're doing with Mashankura came out of nowhere. And it was this, you were, you know, offering this innovation that would break that connection between Bitcoin and, you know, or getting Bitcoin and the internet. And now you were coming up with a solution to help people access Bitcoin without needing the internet. I don't want to mm-hmm. explain Mashankura. So I'm going to ask, like, do you mind explaining Mashankura in like the easiest non-technical way possible for non-techies like myself? Okay. So I think the easiest non-techie way explanation is, of course, Mashankura is a way for people without internet connected devices to send and receive Bitcoin. And it primarily does so by being a USSD service. And it's basically like SMS, but live SMS. So there's a session and the user sends messages back and forth between themselves and the service. And then now they get the ability to send and receive Bitcoin. And yeah, that's basically the ground level explanation of it. So my understanding is that a person would text a certain number and then I don't Mm -hmm. know how it works behind the scenes, but you would text a certain number and then that certain number is going to text you back with a set of prompts. Is that right? And so it's asking, do you want to maybe send or receive? Is that right? Okay. Nice. Okay. Is that -hmm. that what USSD Mm -hmm. is? Okay. Okay. Basically. And uh, can they only... The thing, the... Mm-hmm. Unlike, yeah. you know, your SMS ends up in your SMS app and you can see the history. Right? So with USSD, okay. as soon as you stop texting, it disappears. Right? So it doesn't stay on your phone or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. And so then is it possible for, because if you need this phone and phone number, then your identity mm-hmm. is known? Like, is it is privacy an issue for now? Yeah, it, it is, right? but primarily the privacy stays between you, telecom, uh, service provider, and service. Right? So um, if you want it to be a purely private service, I'd need to become a telecom and encrypt all communications. From your point of view, what are they doing mainly? Are they use, using Mashankura to buy? Are they sending it? Are there other options to do? With Bitcoin? Well, yeah, I've added integrations with like a Steco so that people can acquire Bitcoin because, you know, if you don't have an internet connected device, how are you going to create an account on an exchange? And well, a Steco sells Bitcoin vouchers that you can buy from the corner store. So yeah, through Machangura, you can redeem a Bitcoin voucher and also have an integration with Bitrefill so that you have sats. So what are you going to do with those sats? Um... And through Machangura, you could buy airtime on Bitrefill, grocery vouchers, electricity from Crypto Convert, and yeah, all these fun and cool things. 
that, yeah, that's really helpful in, in those kind of informal economies as mm-hmm. well. And where do you see this heading in a few years? What's the big dream? Mm. Mm, let me see. Basically, millions and millions of users. And what else? A lot of usage, you know, people living on a Bitcoin standard, all economic transactions being Bitcoin transactions, lightning transactions. Let's pause here for a quick moment. For those of you that are new to Bitcoin, let me quickly explain what the Lightning Network is. But before that, let me go over Bitcoin. Bitcoin is money that you can send to anybody anywhere around the world, and it can't be shut down by a government or a bank. But like all things, Bitcoin has its own limitations. One of them is that it can be slow and expensive to send Bitcoin to somebody else. Sending small payments that are slow and expensive doesn't really make sense, right? This is part of the reason why Bitcoin hasn't scaled as a medium of exchange or as a means of payment or as money. Enter the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network, sometimes just called Lightning, is a protocol or a set of rules built on top of the Bitcoin blockchain. Unlike the Bitcoin network that is focused on security, Lightning is designed to allow for micropayments to take place in a way that is fast and very cheap, almost free. For many Bitcoiners, it's the Lightning network that will help Bitcoin scale as everyday money and bring tons of new possibilities for using Bitcoin as a payment method. So when Hothatso says that as his dream, he wants to see, quote, all economic transactions being Lightning transactions, quote, What he's getting at is this idea of people living in a circular economy where they're sending each other Bitcoin in a way that is instant and cheap thanks to the Lightning Network. I'll stop right here for now, but I do want to explore the Lightning Network in a future episode because it seems very promising and may just be the key to global adoption of Bitcoin. All these other things, you know, lightning services, weird, weird things. Uh, Kids learning about Bitcoin and starting a Bitcoin business or starting a business that accepts Bitcoin, whatever it is, whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, that is the future I see. Some call it hyper-Bitcoinization. And real quick here, hyper-Bitcoinization is the idea that there is a moment when Bitcoin becomes the world's dominant form of money. The assumption is people would value Bitcoin more than fiat currencies like the Canadian dollar. Here, Bitcoin wouldn't be exchanged or sold for other currencies, and it would not be priced in a fiat equivalent, like when we say one Bitcoin equals 38,000 Canadian dollars. Instead, one Bitcoin would be worth one Bitcoin because goods and services would be priced in Bitcoin, creating a deflationary instead of an inflationary economy. Many Bitcoiners believe that day will come. They just don't know when exactly. And yeah, that is where I'd like things to go. Yeah, and, and right now you're working, or Mashankura works in eight countries. I think it was nine, but it went down to eight. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes, um, yes. Is the, goal to, is the goal to service all of Africa or do you want to expand to Asia or the rest of the world? What's your vision there? Yeah, well, Africa obviously close to home and I'll have a huge focus there. But of course, there's a lot of other markets where USSD is also being used or mobile money is also being used like Asia and Latin America as well. And so I would deploy the service in these places, but only after, you know, it's running quite well in Africa or some African countries. And then I can start looking at, okay, what other countries in the world will I be able to or 
would I be interested in doing this too? Yeah, I mean, I would love to see it in Latin America, but I'm biased. I was in, in Colombia at the end of last year, and I had to buy mm -hmm. internet. You know, obviously it's very different than Canada, but I had to go buy internet and mm -hmm. I had to, whatever amount of data I wanted to buy, it was really interesting to see that I got, I think it was Facebook and WhatsApp for free. And yeah. that wasn't taking up the data that I was buying. And I thought that was so interesting. And I thought it was also horrific because I was like, if that is free, then that is just kind of sad because that's the source of information and community that people are getting. It's very biased, very monopolized and dangerous. But it's just crazy that these big corporations are having these deals with these Internet and telecommunications providers. And I thought that was just fascinating. And so is that something? Does it work like that in South Africa? Yes, I think. That is the case in a lot of developing markets because companies like Facebook and them don't have to argue about net neutrality in a lot of developing markets, right? So even as a software developer, if I release something that is not running on Facebook's infrastructure, then a person who bought data or internet bundles that only work on Facebook will not be able to access my thing because obviously at the end of the day if all the people you're talking with are on Facebook or WhatsApp or whatever you end up not using or paying for the normal internet right so then that means new apps cannot be developed and cannot grow their own user base because everyone is on Facebook. Right? So then trace it back to Machangura and other payment technologies. Right? In a world where there's no digital well, net neutrality, what happens is you have a payment and people need internet on their phones to actually make the payment. Let's say it's PayPal for whatever reason. Right? And then as a mm -hmm. merchant, you are talking with your customer on WhatsApp, right? And then your WhatsApp says, please deliver this item to my address. And you say, okay, please pay me $50 on via PayPal. And then your customer tells you, oh, I'll pay you when I'm on Wi-Fi back at work. Right? And so your, transacting, your transaction stops because this person only uses internet on WhatsApp or Facebook or Instagram, right? So had the person had the ability to make the payment whether or not you know they are using facebook or the payment platform is on facebook is not important they would be able to complete that transaction right and Fun fact, Facebook has a commerce policy. So this project, Machangura, could have just as easily been a bot you could chat to on WhatsApp and then you could send and receive Bitcoin via the bot on WhatsApp. But because of Facebook's commerce policy, I couldn't implement this bot using Facebook's APIs. Once I did it, Facebook would have revoked my APIs and people would have lost their Bitcoin. I still might try in the future, but you know th that's not the point I'm trying to make. A point I'm trying to make is that net neutrality is quite important. And also for payment technology to work, it needs network effects. So both the sender and the receiver need the ability to make a transaction. If one of them is unable to, your payment technology will not fly. And yeah, so the aim of the USSD platform is to actually foresee money or implement those network effects so that both parties are able to send a Bitcoin transaction. Don't let it be the case that one person on the other side is unable to send a Bitcoin transaction, even though the 
person doing the sending is willing right so yeah that's basically the main mission and the main drive behind the project that's fascinating yeah so basically with Mashankura, it guarantees that both the sender and the receiver can communicate with each other send each other bitcoin and do commerce that's so fascinating. You use the word net neutrality a lot. How would you define that? Well, how they generally define it is that, well, uh, and I usually think about it from the developer's perspective, services perspective. A person who has access to the internet is able to access every website in the same fashion. Right. So, yeah, I think this argument usually started when, you know, Internet started popping up and the cable companies wanted to kind of, you know, implement stuff that limits other websites and gives preference to other websites. Other websites get faster speed, other websites get free access, so on and so forth. So net neutrality is the concept that all websites should have the same level of accessibility right? or all Internet content should have the same level of accessibility so that no other company or no other internet company has a better advantage over somebody else because they are able to deliver their internet content at quicker speeds than their competitor for non-technical reason let me just say that but yeah yeah and what we're seeing instead of you know net neutrality is the race to control the net and specifically the payment rails inside the net. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, no, and personally, yeah. though, let me say this I believe that when companies should rip the page of, of Facebook's playbook and just reverse bill server, you know, from server is what your Bitcoin wallets usually connect to to make a payment. And yeah, Bitcoin companies reverse bill it so that the telecom companies allow the users to access it for free. And then the telecom companies get paid by the Bitcoin companies instead of the user who is accessing the Electrum server, you know. So yeah, I believe we should rip that page out of the playbook so that we get more people on board. Yes, it's not net neutrality but yo there's a war going on yeah there there really is in your opinion how is bitcoin good for neutrality how does it make it a, a equal playing field for for everyone when it comes to accessing financial systems Okay, I can speak mainly about South Africa, you know. We are a country with, like most countries in the world, with a dark past, right? Primarily, so the biggest elephant in the room is apartheid, you know, where the minority kept the majority of the economic participation and the majority of the population were not allowed to participate freely in the economy. Right? So the thing that for me is like, you know, why are we not thinking about this is all these headlines that talk about the wealth gap growing in a place like South Africa. Like, I think every five years I see stories like that being published, right? And technically speaking, in a fiat economic system where you go to the bank and ask for a loan and the bank asks you what type of assets do you have and then you show them your trust fund that your father left you and you are able to get the loan amount you ask for with very favorable terms and versus somebody who is historically 
excluded from the economy goes to the same bank right? and ask for the same amount and then the bank asks them yo what type of assets do you have and all the assets you have are so-called new money because you know you recently started participating in the economy 20 years ago and so then the bank may reject your loan application but if it does accept your loan application it may not give you the full amount that you're asking for or if it does give you the full amount that you're asking for it gives you very bad terms like very high interest rates so you have to work extra hard to earn it well to pay it back right so then the other side of that is these two people then have to compete in the market, not the free market because that doesn't exist, but they have to compete in the market. They both have small businesses. And what you end up seeing is that 90% of all small businesses in South Africa fail within five years. And well, it's a very simple reason why they fail. The reason is because to run a business, you need capital and the capital will come in very handy on the day that your business is doing poorly right like on the season actually not the day on the season that your business is doing poorly you need to use your capital to keep your business operational so that it gets to the good season or the harvest season so that you can then you know make the money back and most businesses usually make their money like maybe one season in a year and the rest of the seasons are just chugging and chugging and chugging waiting to get to that money making season again so in a fiat world how we're going to compete if we one person can go to the bank and ask for a loan on favorable terms and start a business and fail, start again and fail and start again, you know, take however many times you want to take and get it right. And whereas the other person, the first shot they have is usually their last. And I think I was talking with somebody else. I forgot who exactly. I made the analogy of arcade, you know. So if you've been to an arcade and you played a game, what usually happens, you have to insert the coin to play. So the person who's good in the game could play until the end of the game. But if a person dies, the arcade usually has a continue screen. So if you insert another coin, you are able to continue. So what usually happens is if you have enough coins, you are able to get to the end of the game and win the game. But if you don't have enough coins, the only way for you to get to the end of the game is being good at the game. And if you're not naturally gifted to be good at the game, you chances are you're going to use up all your coins and not even get to the end of the game and watch as people who are gifted enough or skilled enough to get to the end of the game or maybe have enough coins on them to get to the end of the game, actually get to the end of the game. And yeah, so for me, Bitcoin is effectively an arcade where you cannot insert coin to continue. So the people who make it to the end of the game are the ones that are able to or skilled enough to actually place from start to finish and win the game. So yeah, and that's how I feel it levels the playing field. That arcade analogy is so good. I'm going to steal that from you and use it when I talk to people when I'm telling them about Bitcoin. Oh, thank you, thank you. That's such a good example. Feel free, feel free. Mm-hmm. Thank you. But it, it's so right where it's just everybody's allowed to to get into connect to the Bitcoin network. You don't need a lot to get started. I mean, it can take seconds from you to access just your first few sets. It, it really is that quick and that simple. And, and there's no bias. You, we don't care about your, I, I mean, 
in some cases, you need an ID to get onto a Bitcoin standard, but you, you don't need to. There are options for you not Bro, to do that. Vouchers, Azteco vouchers allow you to just buy Bitcoin without you showing your ID as well. Okay, yeah, I haven't really, yeah, I need to look into Azteco and learn more about it. The, the Bitcoin ecosystem is so big, I feel like I can never catch up to it. There's just so much being built on top of it, like so much innovation. And it really is a shame that the mainstream media mm -hmm. aren't covering any of that. Like, well, yeah. you know what they say, man, Bitcoin is boring. So why would they want to cover all of these different things? Yeah. How do you see your, your friends? Because I know you are a software developer and you're in the Bitcoin world. Mm -hmm. Are your friends in, into Bitcoin as well? Mm, nah, most of them are not. Most of them are living quite, quite comfortable lives. Yeah. I think I would. I want to reference a song by Ian Kamau, which is one of my favorite rappers. The song is called Sidewalks. Right? Ultimately, you know, people who are making good income from being software developers in a place like South Africa don't really need to do much, right? They can invest their money at the bank with a financial advisor. And yeah, so they never have to think about how they actually have to beat inflation because also they are making way more than the normal amount of money. Right. So most of my friends who I went to university with do not care about Bitcoin that much because they think the financial system is okay. Right. So they don't see anything wrong. And of course, you know, why would you? Because you're doing good. Everyone else is not your problem. Right? And yeah, so I found the a poem I wanted to read out to explain how my peers are doing. And it's by Ian Kamau. It's called Sidewalks. It says, I walked out the front door of a house I once called home To stand on the sidewalk in the rain And it's dark and so cold But the house I once called home I knew I'd never walk in again so I peered through the windows of quiet little homes I never knew existed before. Inside, strangers laughing, living out their lives. They never chose to look out the door. So cold and so lonely in this neighborhood, I tried to get the people to see. Distracted by their comfort, trapped inside their homes, they never even looked for the key. And I am trapped as well, but I'm still searching. And I am trapped in hell, but I'm still searching. That's beautiful. Why, why do you love it? Yeah, so um, the premise, you know, like walking out your own home into the rain and seeing how dark your house was, you know, seeing how dark your home is. But not just that, 
how dark your whole neighborhood is eh? and how trapped you were within that home in the first place. Pain is not a place to be, but ultimately you are realizing that you are still trapped and you'd like everyone else to get out of this trap and no one is trapped, is no one is trying to get out of the trap because that's what the trap was designed to do, uh, to keep them in the house and keep them away from even looking for their own freedom. And well, at least you are searching, you know. So searching for your freedom is a very important step, even when you are not free. Is building Mashankura your your attempt to break free? Most definitely. Right? And I think primarily as, you know, with Bitcoin, there's the whole stack, stay humble and stack sets, you know. Personally, mm-hmm. if I want to prosper in life, all I have to do is stack sets and not even, you know, worry myself when deploying a service like Machang by spending the time promoting it, spending the time fixing bugs, spending the time talking to users, spending the time talking to you. I could just, you know, make the most money and buy Bitcoin and then sit back. But then if I like other people around me to actually also, you know, experience the benefits of Bitcoin, I'd have to do the work to actually allow them for when they're ready to adopt Bitcoin, to have the ability to adopt Bitcoin and not just be excluded. So yeah, you can say it's mm, my way of searching for that freedom. Yeah. And when we free ourselves, we can free other people as well. And and vice versa, like when you free others, you free mm-hmm. yourself. With uh, Machankura, who, what kind of people are using Machankura? Are they more people without many opportunities, people in the informal markets, a certain age group? What are you finding are those common threads between the users? Yeah, well, now it's mainly been people that know about Bitcoin because, of course, you know, they are the people who follow me on Twitter. They are the people who first hear about the service. So, um, yeah, now what I'm trying to do is figure out how do I reach the ideal person, like the person without an Internet connected device. And as you know, since we are on the Internet, right, if I ask you how can you introduce me to a person without an Internet connected device, Chances are, since you already have an internet-connected device, you don't know anyone without an internet-connected device. You are too far yeah. from that person without an internet-connected device to actually make that introduction. So, yeah, it's going to take a little work from our side to actually reach the ideal users. So now most of the users are literally people who have internet-connected device because that's they learn about the service on the internet. So how do you get to the people without internet-connected device? You make a campaign and do all the groundwork. And word of mouth as well. Yes, and word of mouth, of course. Yeah. No, I, it's it's fascinating. It's really, honestly, so lovely to see the ways that you're just the ingenuity to find ways to help the people who would benefit the most with Bitcoin going out of the status quo to build these systems that allow them to, to tap into Bitcoin, you know, which is amazing. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how far you take this in like two years and five years, 10 years from now. And like you say, by that point, you know, we, we won't be doing these podcasts to try and tell people why Bitcoin matters just because fingers crossed, people will get it and people will be using it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, until then, we've all yeah, got well, quite um... a bit of work to do. <sighs> Yeah, no, by the way, um, I believe these conversations should be 
or the people having them. Like it should be me talking to you and we just recording it just so that we make it public after the fact because I also feel like Bitcoiners never get to talk to each other and you know communicate and share jokes and or share poems even so um, in the future you know we will still have conversations like these but it would just be bitcoiners communicating with each other because of course you know it's always great to talk with the person you have common interest with so i'd like to see more and more bitcoiners actually host their own podcasts and you know have recurring conversations not just one episode features interviews and calling that a day yeah, that would be a really cool idea, like coffee chats and Bitcoiners just getting together and, and talking. Yeah. No agenda, casual conversations. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good idea. So if anyone wants to take that on, they can take that on. But yeah, I, I do think for me, yeah. I'm really interested. Yeah, for me, I'm really interested in like the human aspect of Bitcoin. Like I want to get to the heart of Bitcoin. Like how is Bitcoin ch- literally changing lives? When I started getting into the world of Bitcoin, I found that the the content out there was very technical, very analytical, and I really struggled with it. And I, I would be like, where are the human stories? Like, where, where is a piece on how it changed someone's life? And so I'm hoping to kind of do that with this podcast and, and the newsletters just to say, you know, these are the ways that Bitcoin is, is changing the world in every corner of the world. And sometimes that means challenging myself to speak with more technical people like yourself and, and ask them, Hey, teach me how things are working on behind the scenes. Cause it's fascinating. So I appreciate you taking the time yeah. to, to speak with me about South Africa and, and Machankura. And it is really great. Is there anything else that you, you would like to share about Machankura and the work you're doing? No, I think we covered quite a lot. If people would like to keep tabs on the project, they can visit 8333.mobi. That's 8333.mobi. And yeah, that's it from myself. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And how can we help you in, in the work you're doing? What can Bitcoiners do or just anybody in general? Go introduce me to people without internet connected devices and we'll take it from there. That's a good one. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. It's a good challenge for all of us too to st- step out of our little world and, and find mm-hmm. people that are on the outskirts of things. Oh my gosh. It's been so oh, good no. to talk to you. I know it's really late for you, so I'm going to let you go because you also had a power shortage. So you probably have quite a bit of work to catch up on. But again, thank you so much. It's been so lovely to chat. And if you ever just want to have a virtual coffee, let me know and we'll get on a call. Okay, cool. Shop, shop. So yeah, enjoy cool. your day. Huh? You too. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining today's conversation with Hothatsungako of Machankura. I hope you will listen, follow, rate, and review all my episodes, which are available for free on Spotify, Fountain, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time. Post production by Murdoch Media.